Tom Robichon, by the way. Yeah, this hello. Good morning. Home. This is the looking, Phelps Health app. Nice. Professionals. Very, very business-like today. I have, um, I have important things to do today. Excuse me. Okay. Yeah. Well, who do we have? Today we have Suzanne Weckman, who is the TCD and Staff Development Coordinator with Phelps Health. And TCD stands for Time Critical Diagnosis, which I confirmed right before the program. And uh, um, most of people have probably no clue what that is, Suzanne, so I think you're going to probably have to clue us in a little bit. So go into that and tell us what it is that you do, what that stands for, what that means, and why that's important for the hospital. And then also give us a little bit of background into yourself. Like, why did you choose nursing? And ultimately, why did you come to work at Phelps Health and stay? Okay, fabulous. Um, Time critical diagnosis stands for those things that the more quickly you get treatment for them, the better your outcomes are. So time critical diagnosis could be stroke. It could be STEMI, which is a particular type of heart attack. Um, It could be trauma. So if you are in a car accident, the quicker you get help from that car accident, um, the better your outcomes are. So the better the patients do. Uh, They are adding more things to that. Sepsis, which is that really bad infection that sometimes people get. Um, That's considered time critical because the quicker you get them antibiotics, the quicker you get them treatment, the the better those patients do. Um, So I'm not necessarily over sepsis, but time critical diagnosis for our facility means stroke, means heart attack, means trauma. So I watch those programs and monitor them. I look at our metrics. Hey, how are we doing? How are our patients doing? When we send them out to other facilities, how how do those facilities treat our patients and how are their times so that we make sure that we're sending them to quality care if we can't care for them at our facility. How did you get into that? Because I know you have a nursing background, but there's so many avenues you can take with nursing. Oh yeah. How did you get into this? Well, like you said, so many different avenues. That's one of the reasons I became a nurse is because it's such a broad occupation. You can do so much as a nurse, you know, if you don't like dealing with one type of disease or illness, there's always something else out there. Um, I started working at Phelps Health in our emergency department Mm -hmm. and I just grew in that role. I became a shift manager in our emergency department and I started looking at our trauma patients and became our trauma coordinator. Um, And then when the state came out with those new guidelines for stroke patients and heart attack patients where they were going to require hospitals to be certified Mm -hmm. in order to keep those patients at their facilities, uh, they were like, hey, you want to look at the stroke program? And I was like, yes, I would love to. So Carrie Haven, our Mm -hmm. chief nursing officer, um, put me over stroke and I said, hey, STEMI, heart attacks down the road, it's coming right behind stroke. She said, well, roll that in too. And so we together, Carrie and I built our stroke and heart attack program along with, of course, everybody else right. there, you know, right. the, the physicians and the other departments, our radiology and ED and, you know, it was organization wide effort, but uh, we really, I think, did a great job in building those programs at our facility. So why do you choose to work at Phelps Health and why do you, you've been here for some time? Yes, I've been here since 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, I initially came with military, my husband was military, mm-hmm. and Phelps Health was the nearest hospital in the area. And uh, I really feel like as I've worked there, it's a great organization to work for. I mean, well, I- you have a great boss, I'm well, gonna plug that. I, I do, I you know, and your boss makes or breaks a position, really. Um, I would say that I choose to work at Phelps Health, one, because of my boss, Carrie Haven. Is amazing. Is Agreed. Amazing. 
Um, but also because of the organization. They do great things. They are very supportive of our nurses. They're very supportive of bringing new technology in. I mean, we're in a rural area, but our hospital is not a rural hospital. If you mm-hmm. have worked, I have worked at other rural hospitals. We are a big organization for the area we're in. And so I think that's partly because the commitment our organization has to that, into growing our facility for our patients. Right, and giving them the, the things that they need and making sure they have those things. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So did, um, today we're going to be talking about National Stroke Awareness Month because May is... Stroke All about stroke awareness, yes. So before we start talking about that today, can you give us just a few statistics maybe on on stroke in the U.S.? Definitely. Um, Well, the big thing, the first thing I want to say is that one of the most important things is that stroke can happen at any age. People think, oh, stroke, my elderly grandmother or my elderly parent. No, stroke can happen to children. Babies can have strokes. Um, So it can happen at any age, and we want everybody aware of the symptoms so that they are on the lookout and know to get help. But in the United States, stroke is number five on the cause of death. We actually moved down. Stroke used to be number four, so Mm woohoo! all the uh, outreach that... And the education, yes. Education Mm -hmm. is helping with that. Um, But stroke is still the number one cause of disability. So it's not so much that people are dying, it's that they're having to live with the consequences of their stroke. And the quicker people get treatment, the better we can mitigate those signs and symptoms, the the disability they're going to have to live with for the rest of their life. Right. You mentioned that it can happen at any age, and I think that is so important to bring up, and I was nodding aggressively over here because I was one of those people that thought that, that it was kind of something that happened to older people that you really didn't have that happen to younger people. I, right. I never, Why are you pointing at me? I'm not. I'm just being very um, hand gestury. Right. Like older people. No. <laughs> She's pointing yeah, at Yeah, I was. Right. I, I was pointing at you then. Um, but I, I think that that was something that I learned once I started working here is that it and I had interviewed several patients who had experienced stroke and wanted to tell their story and they were young. And I was just, I think that's an important thing to get out because I do think that that's something that people tend to are misinformed about. Correct. I mean, we've had people that have strokes in their Mm thirties and you know, you never think when you're in your thirties that you're going to have a stroke and have to live with the consequences of of that stroke. Right. So. So what is a stroke, Suzanne? All right. Well, there are two different types of strokes. Um, main strokes. There's the, an ischemic stroke, and that's where there's a blockage. So a clot travels from somewhere else in your body, or a clot forms in your brain, and it cuts off blood flow to part of your brain, which causes your symptoms. Or you can have a hemorrhagic stroke, which hemorrhagic means a bleed. So a blood vessel in your brain has a leak or ruptures, it pops, and so blood flow is blocked because it can't flow through that vessel anymore because that vessel's not working right. And so you don't ha- get that blood flow to a part of your brain. And then you have a third type, which we call a TIA. And TIA stands for transient ischemic attack. And those are temporary. They're mini strokes, some people call them. Um, that clot can be dissolved by your own body, or that clot can move on where it's no longer blocking that vessel, so your symptoms go away. But sometimes that TIA can be a warning sign. Hey, 
you are at risk for having a full-blown stroke. Just because your clock cleared this time doesn't mean next time it will. So you need to go to your provider and you need to have them check that out so that they can help prevent whatever may be causing those clots. Is there one of these that are more prevalent? Yeah. So yes, the ischemic stroke, the uh, clot blocking the blood flow of the brain is mm -hmm. the most common type of stroke. 87% of strokes are caused um, by a clot or some type of blockage in the brain. And these are sudden events typically, correct? Yes. So if it's something that's gradual, you're gradually getting weaker as you age, that could be some other disease process. A stroke is sudden. One minute I'm talking fine, the next minute we're on the radio and you can't understand a word that's coming out of my mouth. I may have just suddenly had a stroke and that's affected the speech portion of my brain. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the signs and symptoms then because we kind of are segueing into that. What are we looking for? So we want you to think the mnemonic be fast. It used to be just fast, but a... Um, a hospital called Intermountain came up with this mnemonic called BFAST. B stands for balance. So balance issues, loss of coordination, um, we kind of rolled dizziness into that as well. E stands for eyes, so loss of vision in one eye or loss of vision in a field. So for example, if I'm looking at you, Summer, and now all of a sudden the right side of your body, I have to turn my whole head to see that, that could be a loss of a field of vision. F stands for face, so facial drooping. Um, the best thing is to, if you think the person in front of you is having a stroke, ask them to smile. So smile, Summer. Hey, she's got a great symmetrical smile. Both sides go up even. She's probably not having a stroke today. That's good. Um, so what's it, it going to look like, Suzanne, then if I, if, what are you looking for if, if it wasn't symmetrical? What, is it one side drooping? One side will droop. So when you have them smile, maybe only see teeth on one side of their, their smile and you don't see any teeth that can kind of indicate a subtle droop on that. The what, other side. What, what about me? Oh, you're good. Okay. He's good. No stroke there. Um, or you may actually see the droop. When they smile, one side of their uh, lips may not move at all. Mm -hmm. And so that really indicates that that side of their face is uh, not moving. There's some type of uh, injury there. Um, a stands for arm weakness. So that we say arm, but we really mean arm and or leg. So arm weak, or if it's numb, so you're touching your arm or you're touching your leg and you can't feel yourself touching and you touch your other arm and I can feel it on that arm, but this arm, I'm not feeling it. Or that arm doesn't really want to work right. So we have you hold your arms out in the air, palms up. All right, they're not, neither one's falling lower than the other. They're both straight. You're not having strokes. Okay, good, face is good, arms are good. Um, legs, a lot of times you notice when they're walking. So if it's not a balance issue, maybe it's just, yeah, this one wants to drag a little bit. It just doesn't want to work right. That could indicate a stroke in your leg. Could and then, uh, cramps be a, a precursor? Not usually. Cramps okay. are usually indicating something else. Okay. And you speak of that pain, really, if you think a heart attack, you think pain. You think chest pain, chest mm -hmm. pressure. Stroke really doesn't have a lot of pain to go with it. So sometimes that's why people don't worry about the symptoms of a stroke. Oh, it's not hurting me. I, it's okay. So usually if it's pain, it's not necessarily a stroke. Well, that's interesting too, because I guess I've always kind of thought that if you have something like this, suddenly you're going to feel it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes the people having the stroke symptoms don't notice it. It's somebody else going, uh, Summer, your mouth's not working right. Uh, and they'll look at you and you don't realize that you have that facial droop going on until somebody else points it out. Very interesting. 
So um, we did B, E, F, A. S stands for speech difficulty. So like I was saying before, one minute I'm talking fine, the next my words are not making sense. That's a speech problem. We call that word salad. Um, it could just be slur slurred speech, like I just did right mm -hmm. there. Um, it could be that um, they're not understanding you. You're talking to them, and it's like they're looking at you like, what are you asking me? I don't understand what you're saying. Summer looks at me like that all the time. <laughs> so what we'd say <laughs> is ask the person to say a simple phrase. So some are say, uh, rolling stone gathers no moss. Rolling stone gathers no moss. All right, so she said that pretty good. No slurring going on there. Um, she said the words I asked her to say. Uh, a lot of times people having a stroke, maybe they'll mix the words up or they won't answer with a question you ask them. Uh, so that could indicate a speech difficulty. And then the most important part of BFAST is T for time. We want you to call 911. We want you to get an ambulance to wherever you're at. People think, oh, I can drive myself. Well, if you're having a stroke, one, you shouldn't be driving because you could cause a car accident and then you'll be there for trauma as well of a stroke. Um, the other thing is the ambulance can get you there quicker. They can start treatment in the ambulance. Um, we want you to get those EMS people there at your house, at wherever you're having the stroke, if it's out at the Walmart, so they can start the treatment. They can call ahead and let us know what's going on. Um, you know, that's the most important thing, get treatment right away. So again, there's so many important things here to, to focus on, but one of the things that I've always heard um, is that people tend to think they can sleep it off or something. Um, they're, they're having some weakness or something doesn't feel quite right. They know something's off, but they always think, well, I'm, I'm just tired. I think I'll take a nap and it'll, I'll be better when I wake up. What yeah. do you say to that, Suzanne? I say, absolutely not. Don't ever do that. <laughs> but we do. We do still see that. And we come out to do this education and have these radio spots and go out in the community and have events because it is still uh, an issue with people. They think, oh, my arm's just not wanting to work right because I'm tired. Maybe I worked out really hard and it's just not wanting to work. Well, you know, if you work out really hard, you may get sore, but your arm still works. Um, we want you to get help. Don't go take a nap thinking it's going to get better. Um, don't go to bed thinking, oh, I just need a good night's sleep or I'll call my doctor tomorrow. I don't want to bother anybody. You know, the ER is there not to be a bother. The ER is there to help. And if it's not a stroke, great. You got checked out and we ruled that out. It's mm -hmm. not a stroke. But what if it is a stroke? Right. You're yeah. better safe than sorry, right? The that's, old adage that everybody always heard. That's right. So what options are available if someone gets medical help in time? Because you're talking about time being of the essence. There's a certain window of opportunity here. Yes. Talk a little bit about that for us. Definitely. So the first medicine that you can get is called TPA. It stands for Tissue Plasminogen Activator. And this is what we consider a clot buster. It goes in there and it busts up those clots. But there's only a certain time frame we can give it. We go from what we call your last known well. So I'm looking at Summer and all of a sudden she starts having symptoms. Then I know when she was last at her normal. We were just talking not even 30 seconds ago and you were normal. But what if you wake up like this? Then we gotta do a little bit of investigating. Okay, did you get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom and you were fine? Okay, then one o'clock was your last known normal. Or was it at bedtime? So your last known normal and then add four and a half hours. That's our time to give TPA. 
four and a half hours from when you had that last known normal. So if you come in at four hours and 15 minutes, we really don't have time to get you to CAT scan, make sure you're not bleeding and give you that medicine. We wanna have a nice buffer. So we want you to get in there right away. So we have time to give that medicine. Does the medicine just not work after a certain point or? It's, it's twofold. One, if the clot, the longer the clot's sitting there, then the harder it is to bust up. And the bigger it gets, the harder it is to bust up. But also you increase your risks. You know, your risk of causing a bleed in the brain is pretty low in that less than four hours. But the longer you wait, the higher that risk gets. Okay. So we don't like to, and we won't go off label and give it past that four and a half hours. Some large academic hospitals are doing studies all the time where they'll go off label and they'll give it out to six or eight hours but you really increase your risk to the patient and they only are allowed to do that because they have neurosurgeons there so if they cause a bleed they can go in and fix what they caused. The other thing is if you get to us early we can do well we can't at our facility but we can send you where they can do endovascular treatment. So if you think of TPA as the clot buster, if you think of plumbing, think of TPA as the Drano, and think of endovascular treatment as the Roto-Rooter. They go in with a special um, clot retriever and they go in and pull the clot out of your brain. So it's similar to if you have a heart attack where they go in and they do the procedure in a heart attack where they put a stent in. Well, they're not putting a stent in your brain, they're actually pulling the clot out. But they go in like they do through your groin and up through your arteries up into your brain. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's really neat to watch, uh, but you have to have lots of special training. It's neurologists that have special training, um, which we've talked about we're rural. We don't necessarily have that, but we'll send you to the big centers uh, in Columbia, Springfield, or St. Louis. As quickly can, as possible. As quickly as possible, where they can do that. Now, sometimes we send people and they're like, well, but they didn't do anything. Well, they can't always, even if you're in that less than 24 hours, you still have to meet certain criteria. It has to be a large clot, has to be in a large vessel in your brain. I mean, if it's in a little small vessel, think about that. Trying to get that rotor rooter up in that little bitty branch, it doesn't necessarily go very well. So patients still have to meet certain criteria, but we're doing what's best for the patient. We're getting them somewhere where it's possible they could get this treatment. We can't guarantee they're going to get it once they get there, though. Regardless, Regardless, you are so much better off getting there as quickly as possible. Yes. I have seen amazing things. We have patients that have had what we call a large vessel occlusion, where they have a big clot and a big vessel in their brain. They can't talk. They can't use half their body. Maybe their eyes are fixed in pointing to the right or the left. Um, they go and have this treatment where they pull that clot out and they are almost back to normal. It's just, it's, it's like a miracle and it's amazing. So the quicker you get and get treatment, the better your chances are of not having disability. So we are already running low on time because we always do on topics that I find fascinating. And I think I could talk to you, Suzanne, for a long time. So let's talk about how we can prevent stroke. Is there ways to do this or is that just genetic and you're just born and you don't really have any control over it? Definitely ways to prevent. And there are also things that you can't fix. So we said stroke can happen at any age, but the older you are, the more at risk you are for having a stroke. Now she looked at you. It wasn't me. Sorry. 
Here I am. Uh, family history. If you have a parent or a grandparent or a sister or a brother who has had a stroke, then you're more at risk. Uh, race. African Americans have a much higher risk of death than of stroke. Uh, men. I'm sorry, I'm looking at you again. Sorry, men are more at risk. All right, I understand. No problem. And if you've had a prior stroke or that mini-stroke, TIA, that we talked about, or even a heart attack, a heart attack is still a clot somewhere else in your body, in your heart, then you're more at risk for a stroke. But there's things you can to prevent it. Take your medicine, especially if you have high blood pressure, if you have high cholesterol, if you have a condition called atrial fibrillation where your heart has an erratic beat and you're on medicine for that, take your medicine. Even if you're feeling okay today and you think, oh, I don't have to take my pills today, my blood pressure is okay today, it's okay today because yesterday you took your pills. I know. I love that. (laughs) And I love it when people say that on here because that is one thing that I know people who have done that, you know, they're like, I'm feeling great. Well, obviously you are because you're taking your medicine the way you should. If you don't take it the way you should, you're not going to feel great. So it just is so important. Even if you're feeling good to continue that regimen, if you've been prescribed that with your doctor. Yes. And if for some reason you're having bad side effects, talk to your doctor before you stop a medicine, because if you stop a medicine suddenly, then your blood pressure could go through the roof. And now you're having a stroke. Um, Control your diabetes, take your diabetic medicine, follow your diabetic diet. My big one, stop smoking. But Suzanne, I can't. I know I'm so stressed when I try to stop. I've heard I've heard so many excuses. And don't get me wrong, um, I'm sure it is extraordinarily stressful because anything like that would be, and sometimes when people use it as a stress reliever, yes, it's hard to take it away. What can people do though to truly succeed? Talk to your provider. Talk to your physician. Um, my husband was a smoker for many years. I witnessed this firsthand. He had to try several. He tried cold turkey, and it lasted for a little bit, and then he started smoking again. But he talked to his provider, and they got him a medication to help him quit smoking. There are different medicines out there. Um, I don't want to promote one or the other because it depends on your health condition, yeah. what, what may work for you. But there are medicines out there to help you. There's the gum. There's um, all kinds of different Um, behavioral techniques that they can get you in touch with somebody um, to help you through those things. So there are routes out there to stop smoking. The first step, talk to your provider and they can help you. And if it doesn't succeed the first time, don't give up. Try again. There may be another way that you you would like better that maybe works for you better. This one's going to kill me, but it took him three times to stop smoking. But But he did it. He did it. He did it. That's amazing. So what else? um, Stay physically active. Control your weight. Um, Staying physically active, just what you can do for you. So Mm -hmm. if you're um, already physically active and you're running and going to the gym, great. Keep it up. If you're not physically active, you know, start small. Go for walks. Um, You don't have to immediately go to the gym and go hard and work out in 60 minutes and lift weights and all of that. No, just start small. Take a walk. Little physical activity. Make sure you're getting up every hour. You're not sitting at your desk for Mm -hmm. eight hours like we do, you know. Get up Um, and walk around, move around. Yep. So when you say control weight, is there a certain diet that's better? Because I know salt is bad, like high levels of sodium. They always kind of, with any kind of heart issue or anything like that they recommend against that so do you recommend certain things you know what it's whatever diet you will stick to okay you know i say don't don't think of it as a diet think of it as healthy eating so mediterranean if that is what you can do do the mediterranean diet the dash diet you know there's all kinds of them out there that are actually good 
you know, it's what you can stick to. If you're not going to follow it, if you're going to do it, you know, for three weeks, oh, I'm great, this is wonderful, and then that, you know, I really miss pasta or I miss cake it's always cake it's always donuts it's always sweets I have a bad problem moderation is the term for you then I know in moderation I know don't eat the whole cake I'll try not to Suzanne I'll remember that you told me that okay so we go ahead I gave her some pies a few weeks ago oh dear for the kids yeah Uh uh-huh yeah kids get them did they make it to the kids (laughs) come on It's like the donuts never make it either, but we've been speaking today with Suzanne Weckman, who again is our TCD and staff development coordinator about American Stroke Month. I've learned a lot today. I love the way you go about talking. It's so educational and so informative. You've done a fantastic job and I hope you come back, Suzanne. I appreciate it. So to learn more about stroke at Phelps Health, or if you missed part of this show or would like to listen to it again, you can always go and visit phelpshealth.org. Thank you for being here, Suzanne. Thank you.